would, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. situations that we encounter through life require us to make various responses, sometimes more responses than one, but every situation you encounter requires that you make some response, whether it's simply a nod, you know, people walk by each other and they nod, say hi, and you nod back, or you ignore them. Um, Everything has some sort of response that we give them, and in our text today, people are faced with the truth of the resurrection. And as they're faced with the truth of the resurrection, they must make a response. Some of them are told to make more than one response, but they all make a response in some way. And so we see multiple responses to the resurrection. Jesus has gone to the cross completely in authority in John chapter 18 and 19. And now his disciples misunderstand exactly what's happening. And as they sit around contemplating what's going on, his disciples are now in mourning. And they don't understand why live with Jesus for three plus years, be his disciple, learn so much, just to have it end like this. Where's the meaning to all this? Why do we do this? And so the big idea is place your unwavering faith completely in Jesus' finished work. And as we look at the text, the response in faith doesn't simply point to the requirement to trust Jesus as your Savior. Part of responding in faith is also um, a requirement to join the mission. So you'll see as Jesus points to the fact that he has raised from the dead, that he is the triumphant Lord. He's going to urge and challenge the disciples to join in the mission that he has started and to see that it's continued and that it continues to thrive and to grow. And so Jesus is encouraging them to come to him in saving faith because many of the disciples at this point haven't truly placed their faith in him yet. And he's also encouraging them and offering them the ability to continue in this mission that he has started. And the same thing is true for you and I today. Jesus is once again offering you to come to saving faith in him. If you have not yet, to place your faith in him and him alone and him completely as your only hope for eternal life. And if you say, well, I've already done that, you see that the text also offers and encourages and demands that these disciples who now come to faith in Christ join in his mission of telling others about Christ. And so the offer is still here today. Number one, to come to Christ in saving faith because on your own as a sinner, you cannot ever merit God's favor. And number two, the world needs preachers. And I don't say that as if you all have to go become preachers and get a job being a pastor. But the world needs people who are out there living lives that are different, telling people about the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ that he's demonstrated in their lives. Let's read our text, and then we'll start. 
dive into it and look at it in a little bit more detail. John chapter 20, verse 1, all the way through John chapter 20, verse 31. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stood, stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and, we, and that he had spoken these things to her. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace! be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciple therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails and put my finger, my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, 
peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it calls us to continually make a response and to live either in faith in you or to live in a state of continual rejection of you. We pray that as we encounter your word this morning, that we would turn to you, that we would seek to live in faith, and that we would seek to honor you with our life this coming week. In your name we pray. Amen. text begins, verse, verses 1 through 10, pointing us to an empty tomb that requires a response. And as the text begins, we see Mary Magdalene announcing that there is an empty tomb. And it is apparent from the text that Mary and the disciples did not understand why the tomb was empty. This was not what they were expecting. She ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Jesus is gone, guys. And I don't have a clue where he is, and neither do you. we got to figure this out. And so Peter and the other disciple, the other disciple most likely is John, the author of this book. He refers to himself as either the other disciple or the beloved disciple. They run to the tomb to go and see if this testimony from Mary Magdalene is true. And indeed, they come and they find the tomb empty. And then verses 5 through 10 describe for us that the other disciple, that is the beloved disciple, probably John, places his faith in Christ. And it's interesting, the text makes it clear that it wasn't because he understood all the Old Testament passages that talked about Christ's sacrifice in his resurrection. Why did he believe? It was because of what he saw at the tomb. And so what did he see? Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lined with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. That's what they saw. They say, well, why is that Well, it's really completely different from the way that Lazarus raised from the dead. When Lazarus raised from the dead, he came out with everything still on and even the face marks. And this, it appears as if the clothes were left in the way that they were and the headpiece had been only the part that was folded, but the rest of the stuff that was wrapped around Jesus were all just laying there in exactly the way they left them a few days earlier. And he sees that and he's like, nobody steals a body purposely takes the time to wrap up the linen so that it looks like there was a body in it a little bit ago and then purposely wraps up the handkerchief. If they really wanted the body that badly, 
they just take the body and everything else. And so John, the beloved disciple, sees this and he goes, Jesus has raised from the dead. And he believes and he places his faith in Jesus. But he still didn't understand all the passages that talked about Jesus in the scripture. Verse 9 tells us that. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. And so, seeing that the testimony of Mary Magdalene is true, and John coming to faith after all that occurs, the disciples leave the tomb, and Mary Magdalene is left there. And the question that John wants us to be contemplating, the question that you and I must contemplate, that you and I must answer, by being here, you answer this question. Have I responded to the message of an empty tomb? Christ lived a sinless life. We've seen that in John chapters 1 through 19. Jesus lived a sinless life. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for mankind. He died, and then three days later, he rose from the dead victoriously. Death has been conquered. And the question that John is driving at with this text is, how will you and I respond to that message? Will we respond in saving faith and say, yes, Jesus Christ has paid the penalty that I deserve. I'm going to place my faith in him and him alone, and I'm going to live in newness of life as Romans chapter 6 calls us to, or are we going to continue on with the same old, same old? The text now is going to outline for us how Mary responds to Jesus' appearance, how the disciples, the ten disciples respond, and then how Thomas responds. And then John is going to wrap it up with verses 30 and 31 that make a call for us to place our faith unwaveringly in Jesus Christ and him alone. So what was Mary's response to the empty tomb? Mary's response is recorded in verses 11 through 18. And we see Mary weeping. And why is she weeping? She's weeping because she does not believe. You say, how do you know that she does not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead? Well, her words in verse 2 kind of point us in the direction and then her words, once again, in verse 13, are going to continue to develop that idea. She looks into the tomb. She sees the two angels. And what does she do? She is asked by the angels, why are you weeping? And what does she say? Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She thinks that there's been a grave robbery, that somebody really wanted a dead body. And so... That is her thought. Jesus has been stolen. His body is gone. And that's why I'm crying. I'm still in the state of mourning. Everything's so very shocking. And now there isn't even a place that I can go and I can remember Jesus with. There's not a place that's like, this is where the body of Jesus is. And I can go there and I can mourn. I don't even know where his body is. And then verses 14 through 16, Jesus reveals himself to Mary. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she still doesn't get it. 
and did not know that this was Jesus. And so what does Jesus say to her? He says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she still doesn't get it. And so the text continues on, and she, supposing him to be a gardener, they used to bury people in very lavish tombs with gardens surrounding the tombs, and so it would be customary to have somebody who would take care of the ground. She supposed that it was him and thought, well, maybe he knows where Jesus' body has been laid. I'll ask him. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus' response is, Mary. And she finally realizes that Jesus Christ has raised victoriously from the dead. And she turns around and says to him, Rabboni, that is, teacher. And then Jesus reminds Mary of her mission. Verses 17 through 18, Jesus then says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. After realizing that Jesus has raised from the dead, it appears as if Mary thought that everything was just as it had been. Things are returning to status quo. Jesus is back again. Wonderful. Jesus is going to be here for a long time. And what Jesus is trying to help Mary and what Jesus is trying to help the other disciples realize is that things are going to change. And so you see Jesus coming and going and coming and going and coming and going, leading up to the time where he will go once again and he does it in a very splendorful way, in a very miraculous way to demonstrate this is the final going. I'm not coming back again until I come back triumphantly and I demolish all those who are against me. I will rule over this world. And when he comes back the next time, that is what he will do. But what he wants them to realize is that I am in the process the idea that he says when he says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God, the idea is, I am in the process of getting ready to ascend. He hasn't ascended yet when he talks to Thomas and he tells Thomas to touch him. The idea isn't, you can't touch me. The idea is, do not cling to me. Do not think that the status quo has returned. I am the risen Lord and Savior. And I'm going to be leaving and sending the Holy Spirit to you. And he's going to be the one who is your comforter. He's going to be your advocate. And I'm not going to be continually here. The idea isn't just don't touch me. It's things have changed. I'm in the process of leaving you. But it's just like he said in his final discourse, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send the advocate. And that is what the idea that he's trying to communicate here is. Yes, you're excited, but things haven't returned to status quo. We need to be about the business of telling people that don't understand yet that I'm risen like John did. You need to go tell the other disciples, I have risen 
from the dead. I am victorious. I have conquered death. And because I have that, you can have that too. Get about doing the mission is what he's telling them. She goes, she tells the disciples, and then later on that evening, Jesus comes and we see him call the disciples to have a response to his message. In verses 19 through 23, Jesus reveals himself and offers peace to the disciples. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The disciples were afraid. They had just seen Jesus taken to the cross and crucified. And so they're gathered in fear, and Jesus comes and tells them, I am victorious. Do not be afraid. You have my peace because I am victorious. And then he continues by reminding them of their mission. This is a recurring theme. Once people realize and believe in the resurrection, they place their faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Savior. We're supposed to join the mission, to get on board with the purpose and the aim of Jesus. And so he moves on from there to remind them of their mission. Verses 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We have been sent on a mission. You might not be able to go to a foreign country or to a different state or to a different city in Iowa. But when you go to work tomorrow morning, you are on mission. Matthew 28 isn't go. That's not the command. It's a participle. It's assuming you're going. As you're going into the world, make disciples. That's the command. And that command is for you and that command is for I. And so Jesus is once again reminding them of this mission. A mission to make disciples. To see people come to saving faith. And so we are on a mission to declare the glory of Jesus Christ. The splendor of him. The fact that he has been victorious over death, that he has conquered sin. And because he has conquered sin, we can place our faith in him. And as we place our faith in him, we can live lives that are righteous and honoring and glorifying to Christ. And through that, we also glorify God. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will soon come and will personally indwell believers you look at verse 23 and when he had said this he breathed and said to them the words on them if you have a new king james you'll see that it's um, in italics the word them is not in the greek he didn't breathe on them it's not some mystical okay he breathed it's like a sigh like okay that's the idea he breathed, and then he's reiterating what he's told them in the final discourse. You will receive the Spirit. This isn't when they receive the Spirit. You will receive the Spirit, and then he tells them that they have a responsibility as they go through life. 
Jesus reminds them of their responsibility and to operate with discernment. And so he isn't saying that you and I personally have the ability to go, you're forgiven. You're not forgiven. You get to go to heaven because I said so. That's not the idea. The idea, though, is that as we operate as a church and we see somebody who is not living as a Christian, we can tell them your life does not demonstrate that of a Christian as such, we are removing you from the church because it does not appear to us that you have been forgiven of these things. Not by us, but by God. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's actually talking about like the idea of church discipline and how we have people come into our church. We see that there is a lifestyle that demonstrates forgiveness and repentance of sin when we them, we acknowledge them into the membership of the church. And when somebody's life doesn't demonstrate that, then it is the church's responsibility to say to that person, we do not see the fruits of repentance that we believe should be in your life, and as such we are removing you from the membership of the church. This is a huge responsibility, it is a wonderful responsibility that the church has. To be able to proclaim Sunday after Sunday, that there is forgiveness for sins, and it comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That this ministry is not only available to the Jew, it's not only available to the rich, it's not only available to the poor, it's available to all people who will come to Christ in saving faith and receive forgiveness of sins. And as we see a different type of life, we acknowledge that and we say, yes, you have been changed. We want you to join us in accomplishing this mission, telling the world about who Jesus is, glorifying him through our testimony, not only through our words and telling people who Jesus is, but in living a life that demonstrates a newness of life, living righteously, honorably before God. And so Jesus is telling the disciples to join him not enough to simply come in saving faith to Christ. The next step after you've come in saving faith is to join in the mission of telling others about the forgiveness of sins that is available through Christ's shed blood on their behalf. He then moves on. As Thomas was not among the ten that he revealed himself to here, we see Thomas's response in verses 24 and 25. Thomas doubts the accounts of the ten disciples. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And Thomas is not quite sure about that. He says, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will amazing how much care, compassion, and love Jesus demonstrates for Thomas. We know that Jesus hears because he knew exactly what words Thomas said as he demonstrated his doubt of the resurrection. 
And so Jesus comes and uses the same type of words that Thomas uses to demonstrate his doubt and his invitation to believe. He begins once again with the encouragement to have peace. And then he moves on in verse 27. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not continue in a state of unbelieving, but believing. Place your faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on your behalf. So Thomas places his faith in Jesus' finished work in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas comes to the place where John, the beloved disciple, has come, where Mary and where the other beloved disciples have come, to a place of saving faith, where he realizes that Jesus Christ has indeed risen from the dead, that he has indeed conquered sin, that he has indeed conquered death, and that through him we can have true peace with God. Not just peace in the midst of turmoil, which is what the disciples are facing. The fear that they would also be dragged into a Jewish court and then a Roman court and crucified. But there is true peace with God because the sins that God can judge us for have been forgiven. And we do not no longer have to stand before him guilty, but we can stand before him righteous because we've been declared righteous by Jesus Christ. So Thomas places his faith in Jesus' finished work. And then Jesus moves on and he blesses those who place their faith in him without seeing. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet you're here today and you're wondering how do I receive God's blessing? How do I ensure that God will be happy with me? Jesus answers that question in verse 29. The sad truth is that the world is born into sin. You and I, when we are born, are born into sin doesn't matter how good your family was. It doesn't matter how rich your family was. It doesn't matter how religiously connected your family was. It doesn't matter how much you've gone to church. All those people are born into sin. They are sinners at birth. And that means that you and I, when we are born, were under God's We deserved God's wrath. We deserved God's anger. We deserved an eternity in hell. And how do you and I, people who deserve only God's wrath, only God's punishment, come into a relationship with him wherein we can be blessed by a God who says the only thing that me and you deserve is his punishment? That's quite a change. To go from people who deserve God's wrath, God's anger, because he's angry at sinners, 
to people who God desires to see blessed. How do you and I accomplish that? It's not really anything that you accomplish. Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty. He went to the cross. He died for you. And what's required of you and I then is to place our faith in him and to say, I am unworthy and I could never be worthy on my own. I could give extremely, extravagantly, generously to the work of the church. I could be involved in every single ministry opportunity that there ever could possibly be at Emmanuel Baptist Church from today until the day I die. I could come to every single service possible. I could love my wife and I could love my kids. I could work hard at work. But none of it earns you righteousness. The only thing that can make you right before God is placing your faith in Jesus' finished work. And that is how people who deserve God's wrath, God's condemnation, God's judgment could come into a place where they deserve, or they receive, sorry, don't deserve, but they receive God's blessing. It's because you come in humble acknowledgments your need and the fact that Christ is the only one who can meet that need. John's purpose. Why is John spent? I mean, you got to remember, John wrote all this by hand. Like, I remember when I was dating and I'd sit down and write my, my future wife a handwritten note. I never wrote anything this long to my wife. But it's taxing to just write even like a page of John by hand. Why did John sit down and write this? What in the world was so important to John who would spend such time agonizing to record these events for us? He tells us in verse 30 that Jesus did many other marvelous signs. And truly, Jesus did many other other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But he's purposely gone through the life of Jesus and he's chosen specific details so that we would have a sufficient message to bring us into the light, to bring us to the realization that we are sinners, that we stand condemned before God, and that Jesus Christ, the great Savior, has paid the penalty for my sins, for your sins, so that we can be at peace with God, having no condemnation before Him, so that we can stand righteously before Him, so that we can live a life that is honoring and glorifying to him. And that is John's desire to communicate. And so, if you haven't yet, place your faith in Jesus as a Savior that you desperately need. What do these truths, though, mean for us as we go through this coming week? What do these truths mean for us as we go through next week? go through the rest of our lives. What does John want me to do? The big idea that he's been trying to communicate this entire book is that Jesus is the only means by which you will receive eternal life. And the means by which you receive eternal life is by placing your faith in him and him alone. So if you haven't yet, place your faith in Christ's finished work. 
place our faith in Jesus' finished work are able to have peace with God. There is no fear that the sin that we committed yesterday or the sin that we committed three days ago or the sin that we committed seven days ago will somehow remove our possibility of enjoying an eternal place with God. Because we do not stand under the condemnation of God anymore. Jesus Christ declares us righteous. That's true peace. Even in the midst of great political turmoil, even in the midst of financial distress, even in the midst of instability in your workplaces, we can have true peace with God, knowing that we have no condemnation before God, that we stand righteous before God. And then finally, John has mentioned this, or Jesus has mentioned this as he encounters the various individuals. Get involved in mission. Jesus tells Mary, get involved. Jesus tells the ten disciples, get involved. And it's really implied in this conversation with Thomas. You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. The implication is somebody's got to tell them because they're not going to be able to see because Jesus is in the process of ascending to the Father, to his God, to their God. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is true, that it is trustworthy. We pray that you would help us to respond in faith to your word, whether that mean that we are um, coming to you for the first time in saving faith, or if that means that um, we have various sins in our life that we need to repent of and turn to you in faith and to choose to follow you and obey you because living in faith of what you said is true and is good for our lives and is the best way to live. Whether that means that we need to seek to be more involved in actively sharing and demonstrating the truth of your word with those that we come into contact with. We pray that you would help us to um, see areas in our life where we're in need of change, and that as we see those, that we would be humbled before you and that we'd be willing to pursue change and righteousness. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would.